welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Faith Ryan. The National Human Genome Research Institute, part of the NIH, is working to combine a patient's genetic information with their electronic medical record to better understand a patient's risk for common diseases, such as cancer and diabetes, and to potentially improve their disease treatment. Recently, the agency announced $75 million in funding for an existing network called Emerge, with the goal of understanding the role of genetics and environmental factors in disease risk. The funding will also support enhancing participant diversity for this effort over the next five years. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Ken Wiley and Dr. Rob Rowley, who are both program directors for this network, to learn more about the importance of this work. Hi, Ken. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Faith. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you guys here today to talk about your work at the National Human Genome Research Institute. So you both are responsible for managing the electronic medical records and genomics network, otherwise known as Emerge, which officially launched in 2007. And since then, there has been tremendous work to advance genomics research and apply that research to clinical settings so that patients can have meaningful health outcomes. But to start, I just wanted to ask, what are the main problems that you've identified as they relate to patient health outcomes and clinical assessments? I can start with that. You know, I think one of the challenges we have with clinical medicine is clinicians are typically, we're trained to be able to identify someone and kind of put them in a category of risk, whether to progress in their disease or to develop a disease, and then really base our decisions on our perception of that risk. And so in the past, we've really focused that on kind of how the person looks, certain clinical parameters, whether it's blood pressure or certain laboratory tests. But we really haven't incorporated genomics into that risk until really kind of the Human Genome Project was finished and we started looking at kind of single gene disorders. But now the work of the network really focused originally on discovery in electronic medical records, but we've kind of moved on from that in terms of now that we've discovered these things, how do we start applying what we've learned in the past to be able to risk stratify patients using genomics? And so the problem that we're really looking at is how can we take genomic information or genetic information and combine that with family history and clinical covariates, which is like clinical factors like we typically do, and how do we add those up to actually identify a patient's risk for developing a disease, and how can we then prevent them from getting that disease? So if you look at the way that we do screening now, most of it's based on age. We say, you know, all women over a certain age will get breast cancer screening. What we hope to do with this is to be able to use genetics to say these individuals are a little bit different than the average population, and maybe we should look at them a little closer. So I guess that's the main problem we're trying to solve. And then in addition to that, there's a data science component to it. It's not enough just to know how to use the genomic information in healthcare, but how can that information be integrated in a health exchange environment, electronic health record system? You can't take the raw data and just feed it in there. Another aspect for Emerge is us understanding how data science and informatics could be used in a federated environment, meaning instead of having everybody on the same standard as far as the platform, come as you are. With that level of diversity, to understand what's the common foundational levels of informatics tools and resources and, and ways of transmitting that information in a way that could be useful to the groups as a whole. 
And so there really are two aspects of this of emerges, the understanding of how to use genomics and how to transmit that information in a manner that's both secure and meaningful to both the clinicians and the patients. What challenges do you see in terms of using these genomics risk assessments for you know, the entire population across the United States? Yeah, so one of the challenges that we have, and this network is really kind of going to work on, is most of the ways of using multiple genes or polygenic risk to calculate an individual's risk has been done in people of European ancestry. So the first part of this network's goal is to come up with ways and use diverse data sets to validate and to understand how these need to be adapted to different populations so that all people can benefit from the work. Following our discoveries there and our understanding is to apply this to a diverse population so that all the United States population can benefit from the science. Can we go into who the main partners and stakeholders that are involved in this program? So it's a network of 10 different sites, and we can get, we could be specific in terms of what those sites are. And then there's one coordinating center. So the range is we have Mayo Clinic, University of Alabama at Birmingham, We have the Icon School of Medicine, we have Vanderbilt University, we have Brigham's, we have Cincinnati's Children's Hospital and Medical Center, we have Northwestern, we have Columbia University, and then we have CHOP, which is Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the University of Washington. And the coordinating center is also at Vanderbilt University. Going back to data collection, can you just summarize how the Emerge Network aims to address all the problems that you've previously listed? So the data collection, I mean, each of the sites provided a idea, a list of disease states that they wanted to investigate and data sets that they were going to leverage to do a respective analysis for with the idea of having an additional perspective analysis, which would include the recruitment and genotyping of collectively roughly 25,000 individuals of diverse ancestry. So for the retrospective side, as I mentioned before, they would have their own data sets that they brought in or data sets they had access to to do their analysis using trying to validate polygenic risk scores that we know are been useful for that were developed in European accessory populations, but not really in diverse populations and trying to see where those polygenic risk scores could be improved upon to address the diverse population. And then we will do a prospective study with patients and recruitments. Yeah, and I think, Ken, I think you make a great point. The challenge that we have, too, is the amount of information that we're using to return this information to patients. You almost have to have an informatic solution just based on volume alone. And that doesn't get into the complexity of the interpretation of the information. And so I think, as Ken points out, the problem that we're going to solve is how to actually use informatic tools to combine this information, to quantize, really, or to kind of come up with a numerical value of what an individual's risk is. I guess one of the advantages of having the number in the informatics there is that you can look back in the past and see what was it that went wrong. And I think in the future, you can more easily measure what that outcome result is and hopefully adjust over time to improve our ability to understand a patient's risk. And we could break this up into six types of groups. 
conditions of interest, which would include analytic variability and translatability and actionability, and then the retrospective validation, which is where we'll take our polygenic risk scores and deploy them across diverse data sets, and then have the prospective enrollments, which I mentioned before, and then use this information for the genomic risk assessment, which consists of the polygenic information, confirmatory monogenic information, too, as well as family history and clinical information. And then the genomic risk return, this is where, you know, for how to convey this information that's advantageous to the participants and the providers, as well as the technological and informatics solutions that need to be implemented to feed that information to EHR. And, of course, how we're going to address the LC issues. And then uptake utility, you know, determine the clinical actionability and participant utilization of these measures. So you see this is a very, you know, complex initiative, but we do feel that it's something that will address our ability to further advance the use of genomics in the broader population. So informatics is very important, but information is also very dispersed. And the program is called the Electronic Medical Records and Genomics Network. So it's basically trying to apply genomics research and putting it into electronic medical records, but also taking out information from electronic medical records for analyses. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, I would say that's correct. Rob, would you agree? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think there's two parts. There's getting the information to understand the patient's risk. But, you know, the other challenge is how do you get that information back to, you know, clinicians that are making decisions on these patients? So I think you raise a good point, which leads into some of the other things that I think we hope to talk about in terms of security. But you really need for this information to be useful. You need it broadly distributed which creates the challenge of how to make sure that it only gets to the people that need to have it. And as you can see with this network, it's such a wide range of institutions. We actually have to address those problems up front and make sure that we meet both of those requirements in terms of protecting privacy, but at the same time, being able to distribute the information well enough and safe enough and secure enough that it can be useful and not be misused. I guess before we dive into security and privacy and its role in this effort, I first wanted to touch on what the possible role of interoperability is because electronic medical records are dispersed and patients sometimes have a very difficult time accessing their records. So what is the role of interoperability in these efforts? That's a good question and not an easy question to answer in this case. For the Emerge Network, one of the advantages that we have is working and functioning as within a federated environment is that, like I said before, you come as you are. You come with the platform and the exchange infrastructure that you have. And so the idea is, again, where can we find the foundational levels that we can leverage informatics to address that? In this case, we are planning on leveraging resources such as healthcare interoperability resources of FHIR as a way to try to understand how we can transmit the information in a way that can be useful to the groups that are part of the Emerge network. You know, we have some experience using FHIR in the last phase of Emerge. They helped the efforts that were really led by Larry Bath from the Broad and Malai Morgan from Baylor really led the effort in trying to develop a FHIR spec for reporting pharmacogenomics and germline information. And we're now going to continue building on that effort by understanding how we can transmit polygenic risk score information in a FHIR format that could be disseminated in this federated environment. That's one way of dealing with trying to understand where that low interoperability is capable. 
Another one is actually bringing in a cloud-based resource. In this case, the NHGRI Genomic Data Science Analysis Visualization Informatics Lab Space, also called the ANVIL. This is a cloud-based resource that's funded by NHGRI as a cooperative agreement. And this cloud-based resource is going to, we're going to work with the Emerge Network and this resource to understand how we can disseminate information using the cloud-based platform. And so this is another way we're going to try to work on understanding more about the interoperability efforts and with the network to address their goals of this program. Jumping into security and privacy, what is the role of security and privacy in these efforts? It's a very good question. I mean, so this is in each site, of course, they have their security parameters that have to be addressed. I mean, we're not going to plug directly into an EHR when, say, the ANVIL. We know that would raise all kinds of issues. But questions such as where can the ANVIL, a resource such as the ANVIL, which works under a NIST, for the ANVIL works under a NIST 853 security framework, which is comparable to a FISMA moderate network security framework. Where can those APIs that can be developed that are secure be accessible and useful to the network and facilitating the use of the FireSpec that they're developing for reporting information? And of course, you know, understanding the privacy and securities that are involved with that. I mean, each of the sites have their own security environments that have to be addressed. And we're working with those network members to understand how we can function within those parameters. So keep in mind, the network just started this phase of immersion in July. So we're just coming together and understanding some of these issues, but we are very well aware and sensitive to the security of the environments that we have to work in, as well as the regulatory environments we're working in, this discoverable umbrella. And so the first part is really just working with the network to understand those groups and those parameters that need to be addressed. What is the importance of this approach to personalized and meaningful care for patients? The goal is to be able to use a genomic risk assessment to better identify or more precisely identify what a patient's risk is by using their genetic information. And then the second part of that, which we need clinically, is to be able to understand that doing that improves the outcome of patients. So what this program has really developed is it's going to develop these, they're going to return these to patients There's plenty of people that are offering these and saying that they can help this risk stratification, but we're going to look at what is that true impact and where are the areas that it can really help or where are the areas that we're actually not helping and looking at both of those over 25,000 individuals and going to measure what those outcomes look like. So it's going to generate the evidence that says this does work or this doesn't work. And on the informatic side, it's understanding where are we going to be able to improve on efforts that exist and to actually move this information in a meaningful way, such as, for example, other than what was already mentioned, the idea of electronic phenotyping. How can we improve our efforts in developing electronic phenotyping in a manner that they can be disseminated more rapidly to the clinical community? Can we look at our natural language processing capabilities and groups that are using different ones? Can we come together and figure out what is really the foundational parts of the NLP that could be useful to all the groups and leverage that so that we are currently we're reducing the ability to validate those NLP outcomes in a federated environment and quickly disseminate this information in a meaningful way to the community. So there's two parts. There's the clinical side and the informatics side that are going to both be focused on with this. You had mentioned briefly natural language processing, but are there other informatics tools that are going to be critical in these efforts? Yes. In addition to that, we're also looking at developing smart and power apps. And again, that's just one example. I've already mentioned how we plan on using cloud resources. 
how we're going to disseminate information addressing the LC components. I mean, there's going to have to be technology that we're going to have to leverage for that too. But these are just things that we've discussed so far. I mean, the network, as I mentioned, has just started. So they're going to come together and start thinking about more different types of tools and information technology and if that can be leveraged. But those are just some off the top that we know that they're going to be interested in. Could you also touch on the importance of data sharing for the Emerge Network and how the Emerge Network helps support NIH's and HHS's overall mission to support data sharing for improved health outcomes? In the case of data sharing, Emerge is, I like to look at Emerge as one of the groups that really show the strength of data sharing. You know, we really strive to make our data accessible. And part of that is also the kind of tools and models that we're using. For example, we're using OMOP as our data model for our phenotyping efforts. You know, again, using uh, FAST, uh, FIRE aspects for the stands for using transmitted information. We also, you know, have an affiliate membership process where if you're not funded by NHGRI, you can still be part of the Merge Network. So we are very much open about, we are advocating for data sharing. Now, we do understand that there's privacy concerns. We understand those restrictions. And that's why we really do take a lot of work to address those privacy concerns and understand what those concerns are. But I think in terms of emerging the history of Emerge, I think they've done a very good job trying to show the value of data sharing and how to do it in a manner that is respectful and addresses the privacy concerns of the community. And part of that is because the network never stops investigating and understanding what needs to be changed to accommodate that. Yeah, so Ken's making a great point. Is It's a very practical network in the sense that they're looking for solutions, not only to do the research, but also the implementation science that's needed and lessons learned. One of the big things we do pride ourselves on is publishing our lessons learned so that the whole community and the whole informatics across the country can learn from our lessons in terms of what are the obstacles and what are the opportunities, but how do you mitigate some of those by implementing certain approaches? One of the advantages of the Immersion Network, in addition to NHGRI's model for how they fund programs, is that they really do rely on the input from the community. The Immersion Network, I mean, you know, whenever a new initiative comes up, I mean, we reach out to the community and get feedback from them, whether in workshops, publications, to to understand what is the next barrier that needs to be addressed that NHGRI and are there programs and collaborations with other groups could actually address. And I think as long as we maintain that model and be sincere to that model, I think we'll always be able to have programs like Emerge continue to evolve and change to meet the community's needs. Going back to the populations and data being collected, are there specific use cases or areas in which you see this really helping for health? I think the one advantage of this next phase of the program really is looking at a broad swath of common diseases. So things that most people are familiar with, and we haven't decided as a network what those are going to be. But I mean, you can imagine like coronary artery disease or heart disease, breast cancer, colon cancer, type 2 diabetes, obesity. And so those are just some of the things that are being discussed and offered. So the good thing about this phase of the program is it really is looking at common diseases that affect so many people. So you hope the impact can be greater. The last phase, just to kind of put that in perspective, is we really looked at what we call single genes risk to developing a disease. And those are very important because they have something that we call high penetrance, or if you have the variant or the change in your DNA, it has a significant impact above the average population. 
The challenge is those genes are only found in approximately 3% of the population, whereas these things, as you know, everyone knows someone that's had heart disease or diabetes or breast cancer, unfortunately, but hopefully this phase is going to help us with those more common conditions. In addition to that, on the informatics side, it's really, you know, what are the tools and resources that need to be developed to address this dissemination of genomic risk assessments? How can we, instead of developing new standards, how can we leverage existing standards and ontologies that were not necessarily designed for clinical, but more on the research side of that? What are their usefulness in the clinical side? And so we're going to be investigating those on the informatics side. Novel technologies that are coming out, standards, ontologies. In the case of the clinical decision support, you know, we're very familiar with the understanding of how the alerts, physicians suffer from alert fatigue. Is there an opportunity for us to come up with novel ways to address that? And so what would that look like? Understanding, you know, these are not simple problems. These are very ambitious and challenging problems, and we may not necessarily solve them. But we think through the experience of having the environment that we have for the network, we can at least try to look at in our own way, look at ways that we can try to come up with potential methods to mitigate some of that. It sounds like it'll require a lot of innovation and partnerships. Yeah, and that's typically how the network has been. And the network has been really a really good group when it comes to developing innovative ways and partnerships. And you're right, that's going to be key in this phase too, as it has in the past. Faith, I think the one thing that's exciting about this network is it's always nice to bring problems to a group of people that are experts in their field to solve it. And this group comes together and works well together to bring the challenge in front of them. And then collectively, they kind of tackle the problem. And they might not necessarily solve it, but they definitely gain a good insight into the problem and also what are some potential solutions. And they're a very informative group. They'll let Rob and I know, Ken, Rob, this is too much. (laughs) (laughs) And we appreciate the feedback. (laughs) Because it really is a partnership. It's not, you know, it it is a partnership that we have with them. Yeah, so the network brings together a wide range of experts from all types of areas and fields like genomics and clinical researchers, but also physicians, informatics specialists. And it seems like that collaboration is necessary for this all to work out. Yes, you're absolutely right. This is why I keep going back to the idea that one of the strengths of the Emerge Network is that it is really a, it's a federated environment. And because it requires that level of diversity and experience and knowledge to be able to find a real path through some of these barriers. And as you know, Rob and I've highlighted, these barriers are not simple. But we want to do, and I think what the goal of the network has been is that what they have developed are things that have the potential of being dispersed into the clinical community because it was generated in this federated environment. And that's, that's the advantage of it. I guess just to wrap this interview up, how can institutions become involved with the Emerge Network and how can they help out in any way they can to make this process better? So we do have an affiliate membership process. They go to the Emerge website, you can fill out the affiliate membership and once we have that information, it'll be reviewed and we have a group that um, will evaluate that application for consideration. But, you know, we encourage groups from outside funded groups of research sites to actually join the network. 
like I said, as Rob and I have conveyed, it's like one of the advantages of this group is that, you know, we do value the different expertise and a diversity of expertise and knowledge base that they can bring to help us address these complicated problems. I agree with Ken. I think the more that we can have participate, the better. And the reason is, is because that means that more people can take advantage and help us learn at the same time, build upon that learning so other people can apply it. I think one of the worst things that we could do is do these and discover these great things and just end in a publication. I think we really focus on how can we translate this into clinical practice broadly. So affiliate membership is welcome. We cherish and we continue to sustain those relationships with the hopes that whatever is learned, it can be shared more broadly and applied more broadly to more patient care. Yeah, and these efforts are continuous, so it is very important to give another shout out to the Emerge Network website. So we have the Genome One. There's one on genome.gov website. You can find the Emerge Network there, but we also have the site, which is actually emerge-network.org where you can go and learn also about the Emerge Network. And I think the affiliate membership process is actually on the emerge-network.org site. Thanks, guys, for joining me for this interview today. I'm really looking forward to the progress updates that you guys provide on how this all turns out to basically help people with their health and advance genomics research. Thank you for having us, Faith. Yeah, Faith, thank you so much. We appreciate it. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Ryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.